Well, I'm delighted to have today a seafarer, a captain, a serial founder, uh, Daniel Doggett. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, thank you, Raf. I'm so glad to be here. I'm really, really interested in what you're building with Via. It's a clean shipping boat. Is that a, a bad description or a terrible description? No, <laughs> uh, that's not a bad description. So, uh, yeah, Via is a company that I founded around two years ago, and we are going to be bringing clean shipping to an industrial level. It looks pretty cool on the videos. I'm going to get I'm going to dive into this. Um, but first of all, your background is absolutely not like most people that we talk to. Typically, I guess people do degrees and stuff and end up in some kind of industry and then then um, I don't know have this kind of path where they kind of want more purpose in their life and and or, or just see an opportunity and, and build a really interesting impact company um, but your background's completely different so tell me about how um, you started out in in the world of, of boats uh, well I have to thank my grandmother for that because at age 13 she signed me up to sail on board the brigantine st. Lawrence 2 which is out of Kingston Ontario on the Great Lakes and and essentially, ever since I sailed on the St. Lawrence 2, I've been, I don't want to, hes I hesitate to use the word addicted, but uh, in love with sailing and, and with the, the waterways in which these vessels sail. And and you did that um, and decided that you you just, your whole life was going to be that and you wanted to work in that domain? Or was it just <laughs> like an obvious like evolution of like being on the water and then just saying, this is, this is too good. I don't want to, I don't want to be a landlubber. I, I don't think it was necessarily a decision I made consciously. Uh, I remember when I was younger, around you know 13 and, and those early teenage years, I had uh, some significant confidence issues and challenges, uh, as many teenagers would. But I found that working on tall ships such as the St. Lawrence too gave me so much freedom, so much confidence, so much ability, whether it was climbing the mast or taking the helm, that I, I couldn't get away from it. Uh, ever since then, I just knew that that was something I loved and that empowered me. I think it is addictive as well. I mean, I've been on <laughs> I've been on boats and I've never wanted to get off them because there's just something incredibly connected to nature. Being powered by wind is just a, a, a really inspiring experience. Tell me um, how, how you started to then move into being a captain on Blue Star. Oh, yes. Well, when I joined uh, Blue Star Navigation, which was uh, they're operating a vessel called Schooner Ruth out of Barbados, that was a very interesting job offer. And I remember sitting at a cafe on the boardwalk uh, in Phillipsburg, St. Martin, really wondering what my next steps were going to be in life because I had just uh, stepped off the vessel Tres Hombres and I, I didn't know what my next phase would be you know, as a sailor, you end up on a Caribbean island looking around thinking, uh, did I make the right choice? But I received an email from Mr. Ian Dash and said, please come over to Barbados, help us rig up our new, newly built 100 foot schooner. <laughs> and then we're going to launch it. And this will be the largest ship of any kind ever built or launched in the history of the country. And you can imagine that was very exciting. So my company, uh, Top Sail Rigging, went over and we rigged up the whole ship from from scratch uh, it was new new rigging and wire splices everything and then i was the captain for the launch so the first second of me ever being a captain was launching the largest ship <laughs> ever built in that country and if you look on youtube you type in schooner ruth r-u-t-h and barbados it's it's quite a wild thing to look at amazing um 
yeah, we'll try and put some links actually because all of your um, endeavors, the the boats are absolutely beautiful, aren't they? Um, I mean, we're gonna end, we're gonna end up talking about ugly big old shipping boats, but I mean, schooners are just beautiful. They're very kind of Jack Sparrow, shall we say? Yeah, and that's something that I take into consideration, or something that I sort of ponder from time to time is how did. Uh, an industry because sailing ships was an industry how did an industry go from being one of the most beautiful things you can look at most aesthetically pleasing images you can conjure to one of the most unattractive and that transition is is an interesting one it's kind of like any i guess industrialization in a way um have you have you you know digged into exactly i guess it's when you started having steel hulled boats and instead of wood was one one major area because i guess boats get got bigger and bigger and bigger and then how do you power that so diesel i guess <laughs> um yeah you know it, it it's interesting you ask that because i agree but also disagree a little bit because there are so many beautiful steel ships out there and even today if we were to look at uh, as you mentioned previously, the Vendée Globe or, or these Volvo Ocean Race vessels, there's still a beauty to them. And I think the distinction can be made when we switch from renewable energies, so natural, if you'll call them energies, to fossil fuel or industrialized energies. Because you can have a massive steel sailing ship and it's going to look gorgeous. Or you can have a wind turbine and subject to you know personal belief. Some people would say that new age or old age wind turbines are really beautiful. But it's when we go to generating energy from fossil fuels or some of those other sources that the beauty gets lost yeah and, and i guess function function over form to to some extent but maybe it's just the fact that so much of our goods is i mean shipping is a massive industry right it's it's pretty much everything we buy has been on a boat at some point and i think it's completely invisible to most of us i'm fortunate because i live in singapore we've got one of the busiest trading routes and and, and busiest docks in in ports in sorry in the world actually and um it's an unbelievable sight to behold. I've uh, been with friends taking a small boat out <laughs> through through the yacht club and um, passing passing just incredibly huge um, tankers. Looking up, I mean, it's like looking. It's like you're underneath a, a huge building. So they're quite formidable, and um, I just think we forget just how much of our everyday goods um, were made somewhere else and have have made these huge voyages. Absolutely. Uh, just before we go on, I just wanted to say that the the point I was trying to, to convey was that with renewables, so whether we're talking about wind or water, it's that, you're, that the object is interacting with a natural flow of something. So a, a modern wind turbine can look very beautiful because it's interacting with those wind uh, currents and you know the hull of a ship moves with the waves. And there's a natural element to that aesthetic that that you can't get away from because it's the most efficient form. Just uh, responding to what you've said, yeah, it's approximately 90% of everything we touch and own has been moved on an ocean vessel. And yet, how many people have even seen a ship like that? It's it's uh, a huge difference and uh, very much out of sight, out of mind. And I guess you were passing or you've been used to dodging dodging shipping con- um, tankers, you know, as a captain and as a sailor and a seafarer. So what what happened between the when you founded Topsail Rigging and and you know that that fantastic uh, experience that, that that you had with uh, Blue Star? What then made you decide to found your own kind of shipping yard in Costa Rica? So talk me through um, that and um, and and please bring us on to. Um, you know the, the other work you did with founding Sail Cargo because both of these are are beautiful projects. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm Sail Cargo Inc. 
The mission of Sail Cargo Inc. is to prove the value of clean shipping. And when I founded that in 2014, I knew that I wanted to build a vessel or a series of vessels to transport cargo, whether it was emission-free or if we're not, if we're steering away from that term in a clean manner. And I wasn't sure where that first vessel would be based, whether it was the Great Lakes or perhaps we'd build in Guyana or Caribbean Island. And then uh, some friends of mine, including uh, a co-founder of the SEVA project, Lynx Guimond, said, please come to Costa Rica. It's such a beautiful country and we can build that here. And so having explored several other options, Costa Rica really seemed like uh, a beautiful place and a very appropriate place to make an eco shipyard. Uh, not only was the army abolished in 1949, making it very peaceful, it's also one of the greenest nations in the world by policy, and the forests are growing. Uh, the national forests are increasing in volume every year, which is almost unique in the world. So yeah, going to Costa Rica really made sense. Although I didn't speak any Spanish, so it was pretty challenging. So, so you you decided to move to Costa Rica, and that that's where you um, started work on the first um, like wooden vessel, right? So th this is so this proposition is essentially saying, hey, shipping it's done in big ugly boats, but it can also be done in in the kind of beautiful tall ships or, the, the, or schooners that we've seen, you know, in the past. So is this kind of a bit nostalgic in a way, like creating a beautiful old wooden boat? And tell tell us about some of the challenges and 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 um, you know how you get backing for for a project like that. Is there demand for people to to ship things um, in in that manner? There is a huge demand for people to ship things in that manner. And when we say that manner, it doesn't necessarily mean with with a some people call antiquated a style of vessel but that manner meaning clean shipping there's a huge demand for that uh, we we laid the keel of seba on january 8th 2019 in punta morales costa rica and have been building what will be the largest clean cargo ship in the world ever since now when i can say that sentence seba will be the largest clean cargo ship in the world it's really quite an interesting statement to make because given the fact that seba is only 136 feet or uh, 36 meters on deck and can carry the equivalent of nine TEU, so nine 20 foot containers. Mm -hmm. That's not a big ship. And yet I am able to make that statement Sable will be the largest clean cargo ship in the world. And to me, that really exposes how far behind the shipping industry is to say that a bunch of people with machetes in the mangrove can make that claim. <laughs> and it's true. It is true to this day. And, and that's, I guess, because um, shipping is just so big, right? It's like everything has got bigger and bigger and bigger so like how do you deal with what's the cargo i'm interested in for, for if you can fit nine containers on what 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 do people put in that that um they desperately want to be able to say that they've shipped in a um zero carbon uh way so seba and the newly acquired vessel which will look which looks nearly identical vega can carry will be uh, will be loading cargo in what we call break bulk so whether it's palletized or sacks or uh, essentially loaded in in a more traditional method so mm -hmm. the seba can carry the equivalent of nine containers but won't okay. actually load containers the most popular cargo that we have to date is transporting green coffee beans and we are extremely grateful to cafe william uh, who is from originally from 
from Quebec and has a headquarters in New Jersey. And Cafe William is one of the most inspiring companies I've ever come in contact with in terms of policy and internal corporate policy for environmental decisions. So we'll be they'll be fully loading all the vessels with green coffee beans so northbound from a boatload of coffee, <laughs> literally. Um, oh yeah, pretty uh, pretty tempting to dip into that. I I was hoping you were going to say rum at one point, but we need to obviously drop the pirate <laughs> analogies um, as soon as possible. <laughs> um, well, so- I did I did get to work on the set of Pirates of the Caribbean, and so that I got to tick that little pirate box. But we don't really bring that into the cargo world. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. In what capacity? Uh, as a rigger. Oh right, so- like. Amazing. Yeah. And I actually got uh, to teach, I did get to speak to Johnny Depp, but I didn't get to give him this lesson. I did get to teach his uh, stunt fo- folks how to stay slide with no hands. Uh, so that was pretty fun. Amazing. Um, <laughs> that That's definitely a good little diversion there. So basically this is, uh, what, I mean, what stage is this in now, the, the Sabre, the, the, the first, um, first of the fleet? So Sabre is still being built and she'll need another 1.5 years approximately uh, of construction. But due to the ever-increasing demand for shipping now, Sail Cargo Inc., uh, when I was still CEO, we decided to purchase an existing vessel which is called Vega and so myself and a sort of very experienced team that I have a lot of trust in we all went over to Sweden and started the delivery of Vega and Vega will actually transport cargo at early early next year for Cafe William. Amazing and and will it be between Europe and other destinations or is it coming out this way? So we will be on the eastern seaboard of the Caribbean and US so Colombia being in the uh, top of South America and then up the eastern seaboard and we'll be delivering to New Jersey and possibly into uh, Canada as well. So in this process you've you've also founded a a, a not-for-profit kind of shipping yard in Costa Rica as well. Can you can you tell us more about that? Yes, uh, our non-profit association in Costa Rica is called Astiero Verde, which is Spanish for green shipyard. And uh, Astiero Verde is a shipyard for coastal communities and it is an affiliate 501c3, uh, which is a challenging thing to achieve in your Costa Rican association. And we are, as the shipyard is located in the financially poorest district of the entire country, it was extremely important to our team to be able to bring even more to our community members and give back even more. So just through SABA, the construction of SABA, which is a for-profit and sale cargo inc, which are for-profit companies, we're already bringing in a significant amount of foreign investment, connecting with uh, local producers, um, ensuring we're bringing in uh, living wages for the community. But we wanted to do even more as it is um, up to 70% of our neighbors are living under the poverty line and we're the largest employer. So we decided to found, uh, which I am a co-founder of, this nonprofit, which allows us to do tree planting, educational courses, all sorts of things. And it's a t- it's quite a small pl- uh, community in place, uh, Adam, uh, Punta Morales? Yeah, Punta Morales is a small fishing village on the Gulf of Nicoya, so on the Pacific coast of Costa Rica. I mean, Costa Rica is absolutely beautiful. The pictures look amazing. It's basically just sea and then uh, trees, essentially, <laughs> mangroves and, and beautiful forests. But I can imagine it's quite challenging in terms of just access to resources, facilities and other things. Are the, uh, the the boats that you're building? Are you are you sourcing? How are you sourcing the wood uh, for for sale cargo in a in a way that's um, 
you know, in harmony with nature. Yeah, 100% of the wood for the construction of the ship is locally sourced, as well as all the infrastructure at the shipyard, and locally sourced meaning from Costa Rica. It is extremely important to us uh, and a key, you know, chapter in our narrative of, of sail cargoing to highlight the fact that we cut down trees and we do so in a sustainable manner that is actually regenerative. So many people will ask us, oh, if you're so eco and you love the trees so much, why do you cut them down? Why don't you build out of steel? And a lot of people wouldn't understand that steel often, like the largest steel mines in the world are actually in Brazil, which means that the first step of getting steel is clear cutting the Amazon. And it just continues from there. So if we wanted to really highlight regenerative uh, resources, it would be uh, locally sourcing trees in a sustainable way and then replanting in a multitude uh, in that same area, which is exactly what we do. And so so you're taking, I mean, they have to be quite big, don't they? I mean, they must be mature, quite big trees. I don't know, what, what, what type of wood is it? What type of tree? Yeah, we have a variety of types of wood. So we have Spanish cedar, uh, yeah. as well as cedro, uh, sorry, that's called cedro amargo in Spanish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we have jatoba, which is called wapinol, which is uh, so dense it sinks in water. Oh, wow. uh, and we have we have a cenicero, which is the rain tree. We, we have a whole number of different species. Some something that's interesting though is that of course the growing time in the tropical regions is significantly longer than in a region such as Canada. So when I think about a really huge tree, mm-hmm. or if I think of the famous royal oaks of Denmark that are some of the best ship building woods in the world, that that would be a 200-year-old tree. So like the white oaks of the Danish forests, specifically planted 200 years ago for shipbuilding. Those are very old trees. What we have in Costa Rica is typically a tree, and this does vary, uh, that is around 70 years old, seven zero, and that'll be over a meter, around a meter or more in diameter. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting because the lifespan of a wooden ship when cared for can easily be 100 years. And because we give back continually and in the future of the vessel, we uh, return, we have a return on our investment and we, we put that also into tree planting. It means that we will actually have the ship outlive the lifespan of one of those trees, which means <laughs> that it's a regenerative process when we plant them back year after year. Yeah, that's a beautiful thought as well. And I know you put a lot of energy and thought into the full life of the boat and and of all the work that you're doing because i think it's easy to to make goals and and you know basically easily easy to use technology to to try and i don't know fool ourselves in some senses that that you know we're we're really becoming a lot more sustainable when often um we just need to kind of get back to basics and and really think through the full lifespan from well hopefully cradle to cradle in terms of you know circular thinking and and wooden ships are a beautiful thing to behold and it's it's amazing to think that that it will be out on the sea as long as the trees that you're um replanting will be will be growing i guess that's how it used to always be you'd be built you would be growing or trees for for projects um to to create new ships exactly and and although technology i brings us you know you can't even i can't even fathom how much good technology has brought us it also brings us sort of like an easy way out so people focus a lot on mitigating or offsetting or Mm -hmm. credits and it it, it doesn't really work in the long run Uh, you do have to examine what actions am i doing and how in in a very tangible way can i make those more sustainable or more uh, based on a circular economy. And of course, technology does contribute to that and in positive ways. So I'm not trying to slander tech (laughs) or something, but I do think that when we focus too much on 
carbon offsets and mitigation and you know uh you take something in the left hand and put it in the right hand it's like okay well i still don't have anything in the left hand 100 <laughs> very real tangible feelings yeah i don't think i think we all know that offsetting isn't really going to get us to where we need to be in terms of hitting the 1.5 goal uh, we have to reduce we have to change some things in a meaningful way as well as um you know it's great to see reforestation and some of these offsetting projects but i think we know that we we need something bigger and what's shipping going to do so let's before we get into veer let's just quickly uh, veer into this whole <laughs> <laughs> shipping industry and and obviously with sail cargo and the work that you've been doing you you've probably started talking to really interesting people like i have no idea how you get a boat financed for example like how do you find the money to 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 build a boat so i'd be kind of interested a little bit in that but is it taking you into domains or into groups of investors who are specifically interested in you know how shipping can start to clean up its act because it really needs to right Yes, absolutely. So just before, like, just to quickly touch back on Sail Cargo, uh, during my time there, we raised, uh, secured around $6 million US in investment for these multiple projects. And that was through 300 plus uh, private private impact in investors uh, with every single one of whom I maintain personal correspondence. Looking into Veer, we are shifting into a little bit more sort of venture capital. We do have angel investors and as well through a convertible note, we're working with some private investors as well. It's just, it's, it's really interesting because there aren't a lot of places for companies or people to make an impactful investment in the ocean or shipping space. And I think when some people find out that this is a very tangible, uh, you know, technology ready option, they are, they, they kind of can't believe it. So let's talk about shipping. Um, you mentioned that 90% of goods and goods that we're buying is is coming, has touched a shipping boat in some, some sense. And I mean, it's responsible just quickly for, I think, about 3% three of global greenhouse gas emissions. And last year, 2021, you'll get, I mean, according to the reports I read, it was about 833 million tons of CO2, which was up 5% from, from the year before. I've seen it as high as essentially a billion tons of CO2. So um, it's predicted to go up. Uh, they still think before, you know, things come down. And the International Maritime Organization has, start to make commitments around how much they're going to reduce CO2. So I got a bit confused, if I'm honest, because I'm just dipping in and I saw commitments of, you know, reduction of uh, of 50%, 30%, 40%, all by different dates, you know, the usual kind of thing. Um, uh, at the moment, from what I can see, they're talking about trying to reduce emissions by 40% by 2030, which is um, based on a 2008 number, which again, I'm not sure exactly why, but they're pursuing efforts towards 70% by 2050. And um, I found that wording slightly concerning. Pursuing efforts towards 70% uh, reduction. Um, so I'm guessing from reading between the lines that, that um, the IMO is coming under increasing pressure to, to really clean up the industry. And this is why we're seeing kind of changes in the levels of commitment or, and, and the um, scale of the promises being made. But I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah. <laughs> the shipping industry, I could describe it as an incredible spectacle, as in something that is not credible. And if you look up the word spectacular, it can 
be good or bad. Mm-hmm. So it's an incredible spectacle. And if I find that I don't focus too much of my energy on trying to keep up to date with the largest, latest, most impressive claim made by someone based on some numbers, because really, if you want to look at the fundamental base of the shipping industry, of which these you know claims would be standing upon it's still uh, anonymous ownership of many of these vessels and their offshore credit like the offshore banking they, they just the shipping industry is one of the least transparent industries in the world they still use what are called modern slave contracts at the end of life the ships are switching hands the ownership goes to third parties and they end up driven onto the beaches of bangladesh where children take apart the vessels in barefoot with what the international labor organization calls one of the most dangerous jobs in the world so when shipping companies and you know different uh organizations make these big claims all i want to say is look who's really accountable for any of this, guys? Like at least reveal some people's names or pay the taxes in the country with which you are registered or maybe don't change vessels to third-party hands and let children clean up your garbage. So for me, all these claims are very much about getting attention and I don't focus on them. What I focus on is technology-ready solutions that I'm putting into practice as soon as possible and I'm not focusing on those headlines whatsoever. So so what what led you to... Um, take that approach and passion and, and create Veer. Why 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 did you feel that there, you needed to go um, <clears throat> bigger than Sail Cargo? Well, it kind of was uh, an interesting personal path for me. So I started sailing on cargo ships, uh, engineless cargo ship in 2010, uh, which was on the Tres Hombres, which is a wooden sailing ship with no engine. And we did load ram actually, to go back <laughs> to your previous thought, and sailed it across the ocean emission free. And ever since then, I have been obsessing over how to make this more financially viable. And I've made a sort of personal pact with myself that I'm going to I'm going to prove the value of clean shipping and show people that they could have already done it. And yeah, so when I look at Veer, I, I spent so much time in this tiny little office that I had, uh, boiling hot in Costa Rica, no air conditioning, with a tin roof. And I, I realized that I'd been saying to our prospective clients for a number of years, no, no to things like, no, you don't need a container. No, you don't need it to be steel. No, you don't need your ship to be faster. No, you don't. And I kept telling the clients no until I made a list on my wall of all the things I told clients no to. And then I remembered the cardinal rule. Your client is always right. And so I shouldn't tell them no. And so I came together with, in my mind, with what they had asked for, which was, you know, a fast ship that had no leaks and containers. And I thought, well, let me give that to them. And I focused my mind on creating a vessel that answered all their problems and remained true to being emission-free. And that is what Veer is. So talk us through that. What, what's, how does it compare? And what is Veer? What is Veer? The first, uh, the well, Veer is the company, but you're, you're in the pursuit of building essentially a clean. Uh, a clean shipping boat that can take all the things that you do, you've been turning down, right? The the, the big, you know, steel uh, containers. So, can you describe what the boat will look like and and the kinds of technologies that that you're trying to adopt to make this viable? Yeah. So, beer will look beautiful, which is not. Uh, form. It is function. And that is going back to what I said about working with natural propulsion, which is the wind and the waves. These ships, the first design will look beautiful. It is a 100 meters or 330 foot length overall steel sailing ship that transports 
standard containers. These first design will have three masts that are sporting DynaRig sail technology, uh, which is just wind, and they will also have auxiliary or backup engines of green hydrogen. So I like to call it, rather than what's popular, popularly called wind assist, it's hydrogen assist vessels. Mm-hmm. And they will be uh, fast, actually. This is one of the uh, cornerstone uh, elements that I wanted to bring to the table and that I approached our architects with. I said, I want to have the fastest container ship that we can really make. And that's that's what we've created with beer. So it's a balancing act essentially then to to get the the size uh, and the shape of the hull and all of those kind of things to and and I guess in relation to the mass and sails, like you need you need speed, so you need to have enough wind per per weight and displacement of water and those kind of technical things. And you're working with uh, shipbuilders uh, from where? But yes, so uh, although I did go to a nautical college and studied a little bit of shipbuilding, and I I have been named by the Royal Institute of Naval Architects as one of the most influential women of the century. There's no way I could design that ship on my own. <laughs> so we approach, uh, approached Dijkstra Naval Architects, which are located in Amsterdam, Netherlands. And Dijkstra are widely regarded as one of the best sailing naval architecture firms in the world. Uh, it does look stunning. I'll see if we can uh, can add a link in, in the bio uh, for the podcast, um, because there's a very cool video of what this thing will look like. How, how practical is it like how's it going to work in terms of getting containers on and off a boat with huge sails we have two options for that we can have onboard cranes which would increase our autonomous uh yeah independence and meaning we could unload or load uh, containers ourselves having said that we also can work with shoreside infrastructure to load and unload using those shoreside cranes because of the height of the vessel which is 62.5 meters which is panamax Mm -hmm. we will not be able to go under standard gantry cranes but that does not mean that we're barred from industrial ports we just have to make sure we're working with the right cranes for us and what's this going to hold in terms of you said it was nine containers approximately nine containers worth of uh, storage on um saber um what are we talking about for 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 veer 160 teu okay so i mean so 160 20 foot containers that's quite a big step up and do you do you think it's something where you're going to have multiple um rather than just filling the whole boat full of of green coffee is it is it likely to be um it could be all kinds of stuff i guess but have you planned the boat in relation to a specific route and is there a specific cargo that you think would would easily fill this first boat Uh, Yes and no. So because we are trying to build two vessels and working towards, but we have an agreement with the Naval Architects to build six of this design, there can be different options. We've received interest to have complete charter, so sort of renting, if you will, the whole ship for one client. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as well, we could be taking up to 160 different clients uh, with those different containers. For us, or for what I've identified as sort of the perfect cargo, is very likely something that is like a value-added product, such that would be lightweight. So I kind of joke, but it's not a joke. High heels would pretty much, high heel shoes would be one of the ideal cargos because they weigh next to nothing uh, and are a valuable uh, value uh, product to be selling but we really could be shipping anything <laughs> yeah that's uh that does sound a very interesting cargo you're basically surrounded by i don't know 
I don't even know the names, but I was going to say uh, Milano Blanik of Blanik, but I can't even I can't even remember that. But uh, <laughs> what's the Sex in the City, a boat full of shoes. I think you're going to get ribbed about that one being a being a, a female um, <laughs> female entrepreneur. Um, no, so- no, we can have uh, big hiking boots in there as well. No, but this is a joke. I mean, it's not yeah. a joke. But what I'm saying is that really, I spent well, you know, the fashion industry. There are certain industries that are uh, more attentive to their you know like uh, responsibility factors throughout mm-hmm. the supply chain uh, right now coffee is pretty much the number one in the world now followed by cacao or chocolate mm-hmm. the fashion industry is under heavy scrutiny as well though and they're becoming much more transparent about where they're getting their products how are their products made what you know are we making fast fashion synthetic clothes that are ending up in the landfill what are the conditions that those people are working in? And so obviously the fashion industry is paying increasingly high attention to their supply chain and how their different scopes are being, are, how they're affecting different parts of the world. And so for a company such as Sheep Inc., which is a beautiful sweater company uh, that mm-hmm. gets wool from New Zealand, this would be one of the final broken links in an otherwise sustainable supply chain. And so they're wow. very interested in clean shipping. Yeah, that's that's very true actually i think especially the high-end brands they're really they, they they want to be able to say to have big claims and at the moment there's no one to really service them in this in this area is there that's correct there are no options that would really serve someone like ikea perfectly right now yeah so uh, you're, you're you said you're making two boats or you're you're you know raising for two boats I've got a lot of questions like around just thinking around how that actually works with sailing you're you need the wind right you need the nature to to play ball and how does how does it work like if the conditions aren't right i guess that's where the the hydrogen backup um engines kick in is it yeah absolutely but because we would be uh managing our voyage plans with a conservative average speed which means a speed that's really lower than we expect to attain Mm -hmm. this would allow room for some light wind days or when we would need to switch on that engine Uh, so we would be using a yeah like a lower average speed so just for some context one vessel would have we were we are working with the number uh, 750 kilowatt engine, which would give us a range of 1,200 nautical miles on green hydrogen, which is quite a significant distance. So in reality, our backup engines are are quite significant and can provide quite a range. Yeah. And of course, the wind is free and zero, zero carbon. So whenever there is good wind, so you just um, make hay and, and have the sails up. And I guess all of this stuff is fairly automated now. Like they're, they're significant, they're huge masts, right? <laughs> There's not people on here doing the rigging stuff. Yeah, that's correct. So the entire suit of sails can be set by button foot by one button uh, in six minutes. And and just if people want to see what that looks like, you can go on YouTube and search the uh, sailing yachts Maltese Falcon and Black Pearl. So you have to type in yacht Black Pearl or you will get Pirates of the Caribbean. And you'll see these vessels. <laughs> you'll see these vessels, the two in existence that use the square sail Dynarig technology. And it's so awesome to watch these videos and how fast they go and how automated it is. Uh, but it is it. We still have uh, people on the boat managing the vessel, so it's not autonomous, which is another type of venue shipping is trying to go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is all automated, and, and you would not necessarily need to have any additional personnel on board. So. Where do you see this going? Because I guess the first the first challenge is to get Veer up um, in the water and and 
proving the model and then do you see this becoming a fleet in terms of what are the other options to the shipping industry at the moment i guess they're spending a lot of money on trying to fix the older boats that <coughs> have uh, have got terrible kind of performance but um you know is this a viable do you believe it's a viable alternative for the shipping industry over the say uh, midterm for in terms of innovating sail sailboats to to take some of the load off of the the huge container ships yeah yes so wind and sails have always been a viable option now i'm not saying that they will replace these absolutely massive vessels that are in existence but for certain certain lines or certain routes absolutely they can completely replace certain size vessels i think one of the major pushbacks that wind has received and what i've heard from different players in the industry is that you cannot commoditize in the same way uh, renewable energy so you can't really put a dollar figure on the wind in the same way that you can sell fossil fuel or hydrogen or methane uh, different different types of fuel ammonia so when we put a solar panel out, that that sunlight touches it for free. Of course, there are costs to the technology. But there's a lot of pushback from the industry because the current shipping industry is so closely intertwined with the fossil fuel industry. Like, of course, they have Maersk has their own offshore oil rigs and, and they're very closely tied to that because the fuel they burn is a byproduct. So it's in their favor to maintain uh, some sort of fuel that they can commoditize and that they can control the price of. And so I think that is a major pushback. Wow. Yeah, that I think that's one of the reasons why sometimes it feels really painful to to have these discussions when you're you feel that there's kind of bigger forces at play and and people disruptors like yourself Danielle are, are, are kind of doing innovation where you think, well, hold on, there's billions of dollars in shipping and 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 trillions in fact and what why isn't you know, why isn't there more innovation happening from incumbents? But I think it does and the reason why we like to to, to share these stories is, is it takes people with imagination and passion and in your case real sense of stewardship and duty of care around materials and thinking through these challenges to get established and then I do believe that you're gonna you're gonna have some success uh, once once you've proven the model and and you know I'm interested how much does one of these boats cost like if a, if a shipping company turned around and said hey we want five uh like how much is one boat or would you sell the boat itself i don't think i'm really uh in a position i don't think my legal team would like <laughs> commented on that what i can say is please email me get in contact with me i'd love to answer that but uh, another way to answer that is that in the long term or the lifespan of the vessel it mm-hmm. would not be more uh it would not be a higher expense than a conventional ship wow okay and that's because of the cost of running is is reduced because of fuel that is one of the yeah the major major uh, operational expenses of these vessels so fossil fuel can be up to 60 percent of all opex in a conventional vessel so it makes good business sense at the end of the day um uh and then do you think they'll get bigger i mean veer is obviously already very big but in in the scheme of things it's not huge huge so do you think it's about size or do you think it's just a lo- about a lot more boats powered by powered by wind complementing i guess the existing big things that become slightly more energy efficient over time it is it's absolutely a combination so many people think that when they think of shipping they think of these massive container ships and they think that that is the epitome or the best or the answer and that's that's simply not true those giant vessels serve 
those specific purposes. But if you were, if people really knew the type, the, the multitude of designs of vessels on the water and the different purposes that they serve, it would probably be really like <laughs> shocking to some people. But essentially, if you were walked into a tool shop or uh, you know a mechanic shop or a woodworking shop and you looked around at all the different tools on the wall or on the shelf, you would know, even if you didn't know what they did, that each of those tools served a different purpose. And it's the same with maritime vessels. And there's just as many different designs. And so while I can't answer if all of these vessels could ever be replaced by wind, I know that a significant portion could today. And that's exactly what you're working on. Thank you so much for sharing this. It's massively inspiring. I really want to be there. I really and see when, <laughs> when um, I don't know if they still break champagne on the sides of boats, but I want to be there for that moment and, and see see this thing in the water. And, um, and actually the same for the beautiful wooden boats from Sail Cargo, to be honest, because I think it's very inspiring. I think that we talk about CO2 the entire time, but there we are absolutely dependent on nature. We have whales that are doing an unbelievable job for us in the ocean that are completely unappreciated. That we, you know, we obviously know about whaling, but we, we don't know how many whales are just hit by boats and huge container boats, etc. In 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 all these shipping lanes and just the general noise and pollution that how it's affecting them. And we need them to to, to do their job so that we have a lot of phytoplankton basically consuming. CO2 for us. So thought of these beautiful vessels being powered by water is, you know, is such an inspiring story. Thank you for coming on, telling it, talking about it. We'll make sure that your details are in the show notes so people can um, get their checkbooks out and start buying um, these incredible, incredible boats. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be able to share about Veer and all of our work with clean shipping. I strongly encourage people to get directly in touch with me. Um, I'm really happy to, to share more. So thank you again. 